0: Welcome to St. James Lutheran Church in Chicago. My name is Pastor Joel Hess, and uh, what a joy it is to preach the good news to you. May God bless your ears and heart that you have the hope and peace that we have in Jesus Christ and that the Lord changes your view of the world, that you see things as He does with the love of His Son, Jesus. If you want to support His mission here in St. James through Chicago, go to stjames-lutheran.org and donate. Thank you for listening. And see. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Well, like I told the kids, show and tell is kind of our nature Uh, when you're a little person. You want to show everybody. If you really love a gift you got, you want to tell and brag about it, quite frankly, to everybody, all your friends. And uh, I have the privilege of uh, sometimes sneaking a peek on Julie. Uh, She's doing class, Zoom class, with her little people, and do we have any Julie students here? I don't know if we do. My wife, Julie. Um, And uh, about four-year-olds, I think, is what we're talking about. Um, They've got very interesting. They love the show and tell. They're very quick to show you, and and, uh, when you have less control over them, you never know what they might actually show you. So it's a little frightening. Uh, but <laughs> you never know But it's awesome How that's so attractive But uh, what's kind of funny is uh, As adults um, I've heard plenty of my friends Hey, I got this for Christmas So it continues No matter your age Bragging about I got this I think my brother was talking about A smoker Was that right? You got a smoker? Was that to You know uh, Look at this It's kind of a bragging But it's also kind of a sharing Like this is awesome Because you love it so much You want people to come And See, that's, almost, that's the nature of, I would say, real evangelism. You're excited for what you have, what St. James is to you, that you just naturally, like, I want someone else to have it. Luther, and I titled the sermon this, um, is a quote from, from Luther who talks about evangelism as basically one beggar telling another beggar, Where the food is. It's really what we're doing, isn't it? And we see it right here in chapter 1 of John. It starts really with John the Baptist, who is baptizing and talking about this one who is coming, and... Uh, the writer, John the Evangelist, it's a different John, by the way, says that John's there with his disciples. He had his own disciples, John the Baptizer, and he sees Jesus and he says, behold the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sin of the world. And beholds a lame translation for what that means in Greek or, or Hebrew. What he really said is, look, look, that's the one who's come to take away the sins of the world. And he sends his disciples to Jesus. And then we see this episode here uh, in in chapter 1, if you want to read along or look along as we're talking about it. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, which is up north. It's kind of back home, actually. He's down in Judea. He's down, I think, a little north of Jerusalem, more of a cosmopolitan area like in Chicago. He's going to go back home to Galilee kind of in the sticks and as he's doing so I guess he finds Philip and he says to him follow me and Philip like Andrew and Peter was from the town of Bethsaida and Philip followed him I always thought that was kind of funny you know we could say it's the power of God's word we could say that the power of God's word when Jesus says follow me it happens but then you also kind of wonder what the heck was Philip doing (laughs) he had no problem dropping everything might not be the best qualification for a disciple. What kind of talents and skills have you not in need where you are at, right, that you so easily just dropped everything and just followed Jesus? I mean, for a disciple, kind of, don't you want someone who everybody else wants, who's busy and uh, attractive to so many other people and other job positions? What was Philip doing? But maybe that's all of us what really what really are you doing <laughs> when Jesus says follow me he's got life and hope what are you doing so philip follows him and what does he do immediately jesus doesn't tell him to do it immediately he does what he finds someone else he finds nathaniel and says We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And and that means more than just that. First of all, when he says that, that Moses wrote about in the law and the prophets, that's what we would call the Old Testament. So we found the one that the whole, our Bible basically says, is going to come, the answer. And for them back then, and probably for Philip, it wasn't just like this you know, a bureaucrat, but it's the answer, the answer to sin, as John the Baptist was saying, this, the one who comes to take away the sin of the world, the answer to death. And back then, too, they were expecting, there's a, quite a variety of ways of things that the Jews were expecting of this one who's coming, but definitely one was a king, sure, but also one who's gonna bring life and get rid of evil and maybe return them to the Garden of Eden. God was coming. Good news. No more fear, no more sorrow, no more wondering what's going to happen tomorrow. The fan, or Philip is blown away. He found it the, the fountain of youth. He shares this with Nathaniel because he just had to. This is too good just to keep to himself. And I love Nathaniel's answer. <laughs> We found him, Jesus of Nazareth. So this whole king of Israel, all these things. And then he goes, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Kind of like Bill of Peoria, son of John son of John. Like, who's that? I'm sorry to make fun of Peoria. I'm sorry, Christian. Any other Peoria people here? So I don't know what your Nazareth town is that you're like Nothing good comes out of there, you know. I I don't know if Nathaniel's like—we don't know if Nazareth had a bad reputation, you know, like a bunch of bad characters, or it was just basically—because it was, it's Sticksville. It's up in Galilee. It's the lake people. It's rednecks. They even have kind of an accent. So, you can plug in what you might think of as nothing good comes out of there. What are you talking about? That's what Nathaniel says. What is Philip's answer? Didn't try to debate him, go through a whole long, you know, proving that Nazareth is acceptable and blah, 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 and let's go to the Bible. Philip just says, come and see. Couldn't explain it even, like he didn't even know. I, I don't know, but this is the one, and you're going to experience it, and it'll make sense. Come. And see. I wonder if what attracted Philip was he's like, This guy called me, loves me. It blew Philip's mind. Come and meet him. There's hope finally. And so what happens? Jesus. See, I love this. Come and see, Philip says, and then look at the play of words that John uses. When John saw, when Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, well, here's a true Israelite, in whom there's nothing false, which I would say means who speaks his mind, (laughs) who who says something, uh, whatever is on his head, he's going to say it. And that's Nathanael. No problem putting down the Messiah by, there's no way the Messiah comes from Nazareth. And so he comes up, and then uh, apparently Nathanael hears this How do you know me? Nathanael asked him. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were under the fig tree before Philip even called you. And Nathanael declares, just with that, Rabbi, you are not just king of Israel. The son of God, you are the king of Israel. Why would he say that to that? What got Nathaniel that just blew his mind and changed his whole opinion of this Jesus? And I really think it is this deep knowledge of him and all his sins and everything, but just knows him and doesn't run away from him, and loves him. And Nathaniel believes. And Jesus is even amazed. Did you notice this? It's like the only time Jesus is really amazed. He says, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? <laughs> like, that's, that's it? You're, you're going to see greater things than these. You're going to see heaven open and angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And maybe that simply means you are going to see heaven, but I think it means even more than that. Come and see Nathaniel. But Jesus invites Nathaniel and Philip, and you. And the next day, it's a three-day period here. From John chapter one, John chapter two is the I think the fourth day, and they're invited to a wedding. Jesus brings his crew. I don't know if they're invited or not. Disciples, and at the wedding, he changes what water to wine, and the disciples' minds are blown. You're going to see greater things than that. As they hung out with Jesus, they find him healing the blind man, they find him giving legs to the lame. Next thing you know, he's taking a couple fish and some loaves of bread and feeds freely for free, charging nothing better than any government promise you've heard. (laughs) 5,000. Come and see. You're going to see greater things than that. And there they are with Jesus as he raises Lazarus from the dead. You've seen nothing yet. Come and see. As they looked up and saw this Jesus this king on the cross for them. And I would suggest that is what Jesus was talking about. It's one thing that God does amazing things and miracles. That is awesome, and it is true, and God will raise you up and heal you. You will be healed one day. But to look up and see this God dying for you, whatever you've done, and he knows you just like he knew Nathaniel and knows everything about you. And yet, seeing this God on a cross with criminals because he loves you that much. And on that cross, exactly what Jesus said heaven was opened, it was pushed through. Christ has removed the barrier of sin and those things that keep us out, and our guilt and our shame paid for. And angels ascending and descending. On the Son of Man and on you. It's open. It is finished, Jesus says. Come and see. We don't believe in a God who gives us wishful thinking or a philosophy and nice ideas or a bunch of mantras to live by, but we believe, and we believe in something that has been seen and witnessed, a real man on a cross, a real God crying out for you, forsaken so that we will be welcomed into the kingdom, and it happened in history, and you're going to see greater things than that. He rose again three days later. Death conquered. They saw it. It happened. More than 500 people witnessed with their eyes the ridiculous love of God in the cross, and that there is hope, that it's going to be okay, that you will be healed of whatever's in your mind or in your heart or in your body. And this world will get fixed one day and there will be no clashes or fear or hatred back and forth or confusion, and we will live together in harmony. Jesus is just the first. Come and see. We are like Philip who have seen and tasted the forgiveness of God in Jesus. And now, like little kids, not because we're told to or have to, but because we're beggars who've been given food, we go and brag about this to others who also need some hope. Friends, leave here. And look for that Nathaniel, and look for that neighbor, and look for that worker, and look for that enemy who's starving, who needs some kind of hope in this world, who carries guilt and shame. You have the answer, the antidote. Tell them. That's what evangelism is. It's not... Trying to convert someone by your clever words is simply telling people what has happened. Whether they believe it or not, you're actually just saying, come and see. Jesus died and rose for you. You don't have to believe it. It happened. God loves you. Whether you like it or not, it happened. Christ died for you. Whether you want him to or not, he does. May we declare that. May God open our eyes to see people in our lives. And to share this, especially now, people need this good news, and they need a different vision of a more beautiful future than what we have right now in America. And we always have needed this, by the way. Now we fail at this. We don't do the job we should. If God was absolutely dependent on us growing the church, it would not go well, but notice in this coming and seeing and inviting going on, who's the first one to see? Because sometimes it's hard to see, and sometimes our eyes are a little cloudy to see God's love in Jesus. That's absolutely true for me. The good news, we see it right here, Jesus sees us first. Despite our cloudy vision, our inability—before we even know it, right? Before Nathaniel even, or before Philip even called you, Jesus says, "I saw you, and I know you." Before you even thought about Jesus, Christ saw you first, and through your parents, the baptism, or through a friend, He called you because He knew you and all your sins, saw you, and sees those people out there knows them, and is sending someone their way right now, just like he did you. In Jesus' name, amen.